From the University of California's California China Climate Institute, this is Climate Dialogues with Jerry Brown. In Episode 7, Institute Chair Jerry Brown speaks with Laurence Tubiama, renowned for her role in achieving the Paris Agreement in 2015, and now the CEO of European Climate Foundation. The pair discuss how to elevate global climate change on the world stage, carbon border adjustment mechanisms and carbon pricing, and climate diplomacy and international climate leadership in the lead-up to COP26. Listen to their conversation now. So let me say, I I think the uh, election of uh, Biden uh, has made a real impact in America, I think that's obvious. He has put forth uh, solid plans in contrast uh, to his predecessor, Mr. Trump, and even um, in contrast to, to Obama. Now that was a few years ago, uh, but it, uh, we do enjoy uh, a candor and a directness with the uh, climate issue. Uh, the fires in California, Northern, uh, Northwest America, that's having an impact too. Um, And industries are are stepping up. So in general, uh, we're we're in a better position. Also, uh, John Kerry as the envoy is very committed. He's been to China. He spoke to Minister Xia more than than once, a couple of times. And he's already been to Russia to talk to Lavrov. Uh, He's been to India. So uh, all that is putting America in a, in a, a direct uh, climate uh, posture and taking initiatives never did before. But uh, the Democrats only uh, control the Senate by, by a thread, uh, only a few seats in the House. And it's a very chancy environment here because the country is deeply divided. And there are many of the Republicans, not thousands, but tens of millions believe Trump uh, was elected and there was some kind of fraud that put in Biden. So they don't even accept, that group of Americans doesn't even accept uh, uh, the election. And secondly, there is a group that doesn't uh, like the masks uh, that were imposed uh, for the virus. Uh, Many of the Republican uh, voters in particularly these conservative states uh, are not getting vaccinated, uh, don't like the vaccination, and Fox News is using that as a way to um, build up uh, fear and build up hostility uh, to Biden and the Democrats. So carry that over into climate, and you can see that uh, Biden is on the right track, but he's got a very divided America. So how much of the infrastructure he'll get, he's going to get something. Uh, but I think What is key is for the European leaders uh, to push uh, the United States to to come here if they can, uh, to make statements, uh, to join together and to link up with other countries. So I think there's great willingness on the part of Biden. There's real expertise and knowledge on the part of John Kerry. So that's all good. But to push forward, uh, we're going to have to experience uh, a lot more uh, pressure, leadership, persuasion coming out of Europe. 
So let me ask you, is that at all conceivable? Is that possible? Can we get more of a boost uh, from the Europeans? Thank you for, for this introduction, because I, I do think we are at a crossroads. Uh, on one side, European leaders and the, you know, the, the, mem the, the governments and the commission and all what is of course the institution has been very, very keen to work on the European plan, which of course was led, was proposed on the 14th of July, as you know. This plan is, is very ambitious. Uh, it resonates well with the US, uh, with the Biden announcement and your president intention. For example, we have announced that they have announced that they would have a ban on new sales of IC cars by 2035, um, with a 55 reduction of emission of climate target for cars in 2030 and 50 emission reduction for vans. 40% uh, renewable energy uh, in 2030, uh, and, and of course, which is not enough, but, and of course, uh, and, uh, and some elements on the coal phase out in a number of uh, regions. There is, of course, a reform of the European trading system um, on carbon markets, and, and of course, with the idea to include some maritime and aviation. So there is a, a broad, there was, a, of course, a broad attention paid to in, inside Europe. Now that Europe has made up its plan, and I think that's really an interesting moment to have the conversation between the European leaders and the, and the US administration, including which I, I see you have been a, a promoter, a champion of that, as well as a, a, a state level. Because I, I do think now the Europeans are, in a way, proposing something for themselves and for the world that should be consistent with US policy. And, uh, and I'm sure that it's a moment for, for US leaders to come and, of course, talk to Joe Biden, which already is the case, I understand, with the German Sun Chancellor. Uh, but as well, uh, trying to develop maybe a joint diplomacy efforts, uh, because in a way uh, that maybe for the first time, Europe and United States are very, very aligned on what they would like to achieve. And so uh, I'm sure that there is a capacity of Europe to engage much more now that the, in a way the, the pathway is set. Uh, and for example, uh, we could imagine that on this, um, phase out of the uh, uh, IC engine on the transformation of the automotive sector, uh, on really on the, the capacity to integrate such huge amount of renewable energy, uh, electricity in the grid, uh, all these solution about green hydrogen, etc., or, or really cooperation on the battery industry. Uh, I think there is an enormous prospect of joint US-EU effort both uh, in the domestic scene in each region and outside. And I, I would see a lot of advantage and I, I sense, and I know what you think, I sense that the Biden administration is, is really interested by what can come from Europe and is, is really well-intentioned. Uh, John Kerry visit in Europe were very, very successful. And uh, I, I sense the, the need to support more the effort of John Kerry and Joe Biden on that, but it would be good to understand who could be the what could be the good way to help Joe Biden succeed 
in, in the domestic policy realm, as well as on the international diplomacy. And uh, I think the collaboration around the G7 was good. Um, but of course the COP26 in Glasgow in November will be a very important moment as well to, to, to understand well, what we it, can it do. It seems to me that it takes, uh, I'm not sure everything that <clears throat> Merkel had to say, uh, but there's a lot of other talk. You know, there's the talk about Russia and, and Russia's misdeeds. And there's even more talk about uh, China uh, misdeeds. And then there's the whole economy business. So climate uh, doesn't get to the top where I believe it belongs. The, the world agenda, uh, well, it, it, it's not high enough up there. It's higher than it's ever been. Uh, but we need continuous pushing. And sometimes Biden can do the push. And sometimes it could be uh, the president of France or uh, some of the other countries. Uh, but I think the G7, my feeling was it was nice, but they're not, there isn't the sense, or there isn't the rhetoric of urgency that can pave the way for greater action. And th there's so many things you can worry about, you know, that is Poland uh, having the right uh, ju judicial system? Okay, that, that's an important topic, but somehow climate should be the galvanizing issue that uh, over and over again, uh, every leader of these European countries with America, and uh, I would say as well with China, uh, they, they hear over and over again, this is how we all work together it's a common interest. I, I'm still hearing a lot of talk about what's in our national interest when climate is in our national interest and it's in the uh, planetary interest. It's in the, the, the world interest. So it's a common interest because it's a common vulnerability and common threat. I don't hear that, that language enough. And I, I'm wondering, uh, would you agree with that? Am I uh, overstating that or is, is there much? Is there a much greater, uh, much greater room uh, for articulating uh, the danger of climate, uh, climate disruption, and then the actions that ought to flow from that immediately? You know, what are we doing now? What are we going to say at Glasgow? Uh, is there a, a grouping now? Uh, I give you an example. Before at Paris, uh, we had uh, President Xi and we had uh, President Obama. They they formed some kind of partnership. Well, we need something like that to take the next push here. If we're even going to have a successful um, a COP, and you know, at the same time, we have the uh, Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty coming up for its uh, review here, and we have a lot of a lot of discussion there. So there's five or ten big issues, and I I, I, I am concerned that climate can be crowded off, and it can't, it can't be if we're going to be successful because the transition is so difficult. Uh, not difficult if we had the political will, but to get the political will uh, galvanized takes more, I think, than we're doing today. I think, Governor, I agree with you. There is not the sense of emergency we need. I totally agree. It's there. I think climate is now high on the, on the political agenda. But the sense of or emergency, the, the energy that is invested 
in pursuing these aims is not there. And even the preparation of this Glasgow COP is very important. You feel that there is, there is of course intention, everybody's expressing its goodwill to make it a success, but there is, I understand why in a way there is this health crisis, the problem of the economic problems, um, in the developing countryside, there is a, a feeling that there is not enough solidarity, in particular on the on, on the COVID, on the vaccines, etc. But I, I agree with you. It should be an overriding problem that would, uh, in a way, be put above every divergences, because we don't have any other solution, and it's not there. It's still, in a way, taken an hostage by the more traditional geopolitics. And we see that vis-a-vis -vis China, we see that vis-a-vis -vis even other countries. So I, I agree with you. I don't sense the feeling of emergency we should, we should see. And, uh, and yes, uh, the North Stream pipeline is important, but it's much more important to discuss how we really uh, uh, rally around the emission reduction we need this year and next and then year to follow. Yeah, and there's not, do you see a way we can, that with the European announcement, does that uh, pave the way uh, for more uh, imaginative and energetic um, declarations on the part of the Europeans? I didn't even read what Merkel said when she came to the White House, but she didn't come and pound on the table and say, we must do more on climate for our children, our grandchildren. I, did she say that? I, I don't recall. I, I just don't see that. I think uh, that was not the message out in the press, of course, you, no. you're right. Uh, now, I think because of the package is now on the table, I think uh, that there is room for uh, European leaders to, to be, in a way, to speak uh, with more energy. But it's not, it's not secured for the moment. I agree with you. Uh, I, I am concerned about, uh, again, the, the fact that, that there are many, many issues on the table where we should have this one as a, as, as a one, and still it's not the one. So do you, is there, could the subnational people do it? Could the bankers do it? The insurance companies? Uh, where, now we have Greta uh, for a young child uh, having much more impact than you would think she should be able to have. So if Greta can have impact, why can't a few European presidents, uh, maybe a few governors of America, but even very few governors are, are pushing climate uh, today. So I, I'm just wondering who, who can we push to push the big people, you know, the, the, the uh, presidents, because you mentioned a geopolitical standard talk. There's a lot of standard talk. Well, we know from history, this talk is going to go on forever. You know, mm. we just have one, if it isn't one thing, it's something else. Okay, so we got to get climate and uh, climate uh, higher up on the agenda. Uh, G20, uh, the, the, minister, the finance ministers met. I don't know that they talked about it too much. But now with this European plan, it seems like uh, this should become something uh, everybody else should respond to. And, uh, but of course, Europe hasn't done it yet. Uh, what's Hungary and Poland going to do? Uh, the Baltic countries, are they going to try to undermine this? Um, so 
I think we need we need a movement here of, 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 of some of some type that pushes people uh, first rhetorically and second programmatically. I think uh, my hope, uh, even if I, I have the same concerns and you have, my hope is that on one side there is a increasing mobilization of the European citizen to really uh, have strong climate policies. We have now more 75, in particular, of course, on the young generation, people that are asking for much, much tough policies on that. And 75% of the young generation think in all over Europe, all over Europe, things that uh, the government are not doing enough. So there is a constituency for action, backing action. Now that the package is there, that there is a, a force of concern for uh, of course, the industries of Europe, uh, whether they are in Poland or in Spain or in Italy, they, they, they want an agreement around that there will not be a, um, unfair competition. And they, they have, of course, to have much more stricter standards. They will face that. So uh, I, think there is a, I think there is no remedy if the leaders of Europe don't fight for uh, a global action they will be faced with difficulties at home. That's why I feel that very strongly that the European leaders need success in climate change globally, because if not, they will be of course criticized at home in Europe because they would not be not delivering, uh, you know, the collective action that is needed. So that's why I think we have a window of opportunities there. Maybe Merkel is not on the right role because she's of course living but you know, the next government of Germany, Macron, if he's reelected next year, uh, many more leaders, uh, Draghi in Italy and the prime minister of, of Spain, they all share the same vision. So that's a moment for them to go out and say, uh, this is what Europe will do. And we need other people to join because if that, that's the only way to, to succeed. And I hope they will talk to the Chinese in, in this very clear way. Yeah. Well let me give you, give you an example in the United States. Um, there's uh, LNG projects are being uh, built and proposed uh, to ship uh, gas around the world. Well, uh, hopefully, if they build them, they'll take them down in a few years because we have to reduce our gas. So, and, and China is building so many coal plants, uh, you know, a huge number of coal plants. And America is still using all the oil that it's, uh, you know, and the world is using almost 100 barrels, 100 million barrels a day. So I think some of these key indicators of, uh, uh, of climate wrong instead of climate right uh, have to be called out. And uh, it's, it, I think America has been a little slower uh, than, than Europe. But I think wherever it is, I think Europe has to say, we're doing this, America, you, you, you got to do more. Or what are you doing about the, you know, or, or the, you, I, I know, I think for Biden to really succeed, he's going to need more international assistance in the form of- That's such a good point. That's a very good point and a good message I'm taking from you. Uh, because for example, if I take the example of gas, we had finally, uh, that, that finally European decision that, for example, the European Investment Bank would now no more support or lend for any 
gas-based project. So no gas project will enter in the portfolio, in the new portfolio of the European Investment Bank, which is of course, as you know, a very big lender in Europe. So that's this type of very strong moves um, are important to understand in, in particular on gas, because that's of course a new development that of course I understand US would like to, to see. And we, we have really uh, to have the leaders of Europe just telling uh, Joe Biden that that's not the way, that's not the way we can find a solution. But I understand it will be very difficult, of course. Yeah, but, America uh, doesn't want Russia to sell gas to Germany, but we want to sell LNG to anybody yeah. who will buy it. So <laughs> I never hear anybody express that contradiction. You know, it's it, it, so I think we need more possibly polite, but more uh, frank uh, confrontation with the gap between where the world leaders are in the world and where the global warming is, which every year, uh, 40 billion uh, tons of CO2 and maybe 15 or 20 billion tons of other greenhouse gases. That's a big number that's going up every, you know, that's two or three billion a week of, of uh, heat trapping gases of one kind or another. So I, I think the urgency is, we're certainly more at the point of recognition than ever before. And when I say we, I mean in the financial business community. Um, here we have our institute, which is, which we're doing in connection with, we're doing this dialogue, uh, but I'm considering doing teach-ins uh, like we did in the Vietnam War, uh, uh, tapping into this uh, youthful awareness of the absurdity of the fossil fuel excess and uh, tapping into that and getting more and more awareness uh, uh, of, of the crisis. So uh, I think that's, that's something that could also go on in Europe. I don't know if European universities are, are dealing with climate change as a political issue. More and more, but it's still not dominating the agenda of the academia. And I, I have a question for you, Governor, that how you see China businesses um, beyond the, the, the policy of energy and what the government is doing uh, on coal, do you see uh, an evolution in the businesses you know in China vis-a-vis -vis this global problem? Or do you see they have concern about what will happen if they don't decarbonize their activity. How you see the Chinese situation from the private sector point of view? Well, I think China is, uh, is very dominated, of course, by the Communist Party. And the Communist Party is very much directed by what President Xi says. And mm -hmm. he has said 2060 carbon neutrality and 2030 or slightly before uh, peaking. So that's what they keep saying. Now, what we're trying to do in our institute is find concrete uh, ways that China can uh, operationalize those objectives. How, how to get to peaking in the next couple of years? How to get to what is the pathway? What are the benchmarks? And I don't think, I think China's working on that, but it's not crystal clear uh, how vigorous they are. Uh, I remember being with the, uh, some uh, Chinese uh, uh, delegates, uh, Chinese officials that were accompanying Xi when he came 
uh, to America. And I asked him, what is more powerful, the automobile or the Communist Party? And they wouldn't answer me. And I think the automobile is more powerful in some ways, or at least the coal, coal plants seem to be more powerful in the sense that um, if the Communist Party is the ruling mechanism for China, then the ruling mechanism can say, we're not gonna build coal and then everyone will follow, but it doesn't quite work that way. So I think uh, China uh, has the potential of being a great leader in this, uh, but it's not clear in my mind uh, that they're, they're there yet. And that's why I believe that almost anybody, Europe, Biden, if, if a, a certain uh, grouping would, would push harder, then they, they would get more people. So we need more of a, a bandwagon effect that would uh, derive from the various leaders. And sometimes uh, the EU came out with some things. Now the US has to respond and you engage China. But we have so many other things we're doing. I, I think one of our problems, quite frankly, is America uh, feels America. Many uh, think tank people, uh, politicians uh, like to judge the other people and Russia and China and this one and that one. And we're very focused in America on the misdeeds of these other countries. So we, we lose focus on what is, I believe, an overriding threat, and that is the climate. And uh, so we have to elevate that. And I don't think uh, Europe has done enough. And I don't think, uh, you know, uh, uh, the world, we have wherever we can pull it. Now, let me ask you the, the, something specific. This border adjustment, uh, that, that could be a, well, is it even practical to have a border adjustment tax? So you really say, all right, you're building stuff over in China or in India or Korea, uh, South Korea, and oh, you got a carbon content here. We're gonna add that to the price of the product as soon as it hits uh, France or England or Germany. Uh, is, that, is that the proposal? Can we really do that? The proposal is, of course, to start with, yeah, it is a philosophy, uh, at least is as, as soon as the steel or the cement in produced in EU will pay uh, with a carbon tax, will pay the price of the pollution of carbon. The intention is for at least some sectors, not a big number of them, to, in a way, experiment <clears throat> the way that the same tax that is paid by the producers of Europe are paid by the, the one who want to say to sell steel or cement or fertilizer in Europe. Uh, that could be totally consistent with WTO rules if uh, really companies are really paying that tax uh, uh, on the EU side. Um, I do think that there are of course, it may be complicated, uh, certainly when, in a way, designing the system really for real, which will take time. Uh, of course, certainly European institution and, and the leaders have to consider what the impact is on other countries' trade. But it could be useful at least to, as a wake up call saying, we cannot continue to produce steel or cement or fertilizer without paying attention to the carbon footprint. So in a way, I find this interesting as a way it, it creates attention on 
look, now global markets has to take into account the carbon emission that you cannot ignore that. So um, I don't know how it will go. Uh, I think uh, in a way I see that there will be certainly uh, many tensions, but I see that on the other side, China has decided to go for, to extend their carbon market now or to put it in place. Uh, so it could be an incentive for everybody to get more serious, which we need. Right, now let me, Connected to that is the price on carbon. I believe uh, that the EU, it's something like $55 today. Um, in California, it's closer to, in our cap and trade, maybe $20, $23, maybe higher. Uh, but we also have a low carbon fuel standard where mm. uh, the money doesn't get paid to government, but it gets paid to other industries that are uh, generating credits because they, like solar or biodiesel, things like that. That price of carbon is over $120. So mm. that's a powerful signal. The oil companies uh, tried to get rid of it, but in California, we have it. In Oregon, we're the only two states. Now the Chinese uh, price of carbon, I think is very low. And my question is, when we take the price, if the price rises to what it needs to be to discourage, uh, fossil fuel use, 55, 65, 75, 100, then is that politically viable? And, uh, or are you gonna have a, a, a real political revolt? Uh, you know, in France, uh, the yellow shirt people didn't like the gas tax uh, and a carbon price can be like a gas tax. So uh, do you have any thoughts on how we actually, we governments, uh, put in a, a pricing of carbon, but also uh, keep uh, lifting it to a higher level. So um, on the one side, the, the carbon price that is paid now then will certainly raise, uh, is paid by the companies and a very small portion of it is transmitted to the consumers, at least for the moment. Uh, for example, uh, uh, the carbon price of 50 or more dollars, uh, euros a ton on steel uh, translating to very few, in a way, even a few dollars, uh, even less in a car when you buy the, your car. So there are sectors where the transmission of the carbon price to the consumer is really a uh, is really uh, relatively limited that doesn't have a real social impact. Of course, on the fuel directly, for example, uh, and that was the case for the yellow vest in France. Uh, the problem is that people cannot necessarily switch from having a highly polluting car to a, a cleaner one. And that's why, uh, and that, the perspective of the new solidarity fund that has been decided uh, together with this extension of the carbon price in the economy in Europe is to try to, in a way, compensate people who cannot switch, for example, to an electric car easily because they are still too expensive for them. So to have to compensate them for the tax they are paying. So the, the economic signal exists but of course, it doesn't have a regressive effect on the, you know, as a more modest household. This is not easy to do. 
but I think it's a condition for the policy to be put in place. Do you see any, what sources of, of political enthusiasm do you see? Is there uh, in Europe that we might uh, emulate or be inspired by here in the United States? Um, certainly the younger generation, but I think you have the same in US. So, so the young generation in your country is, is quite active on climate. It's the same in Europe. I see there is an economic sector that sees their future in that direction too. And, uh, and that's very good to, to hear them, that they can speak up to see that uh, electrification of transport or renewable energy is a source of jobs and opportunities. Uh, I do think that now people are more and more concerned about pollution and uh, the e climate impacts. And I'm sure, of course, unfortunately, California is, is in this case. Uh, but uh, I see, for example, the dramatic events that, is, that are happening now in Germany are pushing really the climate agenda for the election very, very fast. So I do think that the combination of the young generation, the progressive industries who see the future uh, in the zero carbon world, and the climate impacts are changing the mindset in Europe. And I see the combination could maybe a little bit similar, but bet on the young generation and the progressive business, uh, it seems to me a very important constituency that can be mobilized. Well, we're gonna to have to do uh, quite a bit more and leading up to, uh, uh, to the Glasgow meeting, uh, we, we're gonna need some more commitments out of, out of somebody, uh, countries, or, or corporations or whatever. Well, look, we, uh, we, we pretty well exhausted our time here uh, but it's been wonderful to hear from you, to, to see you, and know you're fighting the good fight. And just know that uh, I too am fully engaged and I'm looking for ways all the time uh, to up uh, the, the temperature, up the awareness level. And um, I think Glasgow is a good benchmark. Uh, let's get as far as we can in terms of commitments uh, by the time people arrive there. Thank you very much, Governors. That this conversation is very energizing, which what we need. Okay, good. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Bye-bye, Governor. Bye. Goodbye.